0: I have lived long enough to see the same eyes in different people. I see your eyes. I know your eyes. Follow me. Star Wars The Force Awakens Good morning, everybody. (laughs) Good morning to everybody upstairs in the Well Cafe as well. it's such a good morning to be in worship together. If we haven't met before, uh, my name is Johnny, and I serve as one of your pastors here at First Methodist Mansfield. And as you can tell, I'm a little bit excited about this morning, and I'm really glad you're here to let me just ooze this excitement all over you, because I'm really pumped about it. Uh, it's a good day. We're, we're, uh, it's finally good to be back with you. It's been a while since I've been with you, and to, to start a new series uh, today, It's been a while because we had a really significant series uh, over the past four weeks. Uh, Pastor Mike, who many of you know and, and love, uh, has served this church for the past 21 years and, and did a final sermon series for us. Uh, over the past four weeks because, as you know, in July, he's going to be starting his new job uh, with the denomination as a district superintendent, which means uh, the ways in which Mike has loved and and blessed and led this worshiping community here uh, in Mansfield, uh, he's going to do that at a higher level now with our denomination for about 60 churches uh, in our conference. And so we're excited Uh, As much as we are going to miss him, we are very excited for him and his family and those churches uh, that are going to be blessed by Mike as we have been blessed by Mike over these years. So Mike shared with us for four weeks, he shared uh, some great stories and some wisdom that he has gained over his almost 40 years of of ministry as a pastor. Uh, We were truly blessed by that. And so one of the things we wanted to do that was special as a part of that series, is offer up uh, a DVD. Uh, So we have packaged uh, all four of those uh, sermons as part of the series in this DVD, and we have them available at all the connecting points. Uh, One, There's enough for everybody to grab one. I hope you do. Uh, They're $20 a piece, uh, not because they cost that much to make. Uh, They're actually quite inexpensive to make. But what we wanted to do um, in conjunction with these DVDs is all that money that we uh, that, that comes in for those DVDs will go toward the Next Generation Leadership Fund that we established in Mike's name. Uh, something that has been a part of our church for the past couple years. That has uh, been a, a really critical way that we can uh, bless and influence, uh, invest in our, our next generation leaders, uh, nurture them in their leadership, and, and it has been a, a total blessing for them. And I hope uh, I hope that when you get this DVD, that not only this is a blessing for you, it's something that you can. Uh, Cherish and revisit, uh, but also know that you are contributing to this fund that is going to carry on in in Mike's name as a legacy uh, for the leadership. He loved next generation leaders, and he he totally dedicated himself into to investing in them. And so this is a way that we get to continue that legacy uh, as well. So uh, let's get on with it. If you have brought your Bibles with you today, uh, I would like for you to turn to the Book of Revelation, chapter twenty one. I heard a little, ooh, yeah, Revelation. It's at the very end of your Bible. Uh, it's that scary book that's a little confusing and a little weird that uh, we tell people, especially when they're new to Christianity and reading their Bible, that, that's the part you just don't worry about that part. You read all the good, fun stuff that Jesus wrote, and just don't worry about that scary book in the back. Like we, But we're going to worry about that scary book today. I'm pretty excited about it because here's the deal. I'm not really sure uh, what you've heard about Revelation. Actually, I'm kind of sure What you heard about Revelation. Uh, But one of the things I want to make a goal for today, amidst some other things, but one of the goals I have for us today is to actually walk through uh, the central message of this book. This is a Bible uh, that might not have much to do with this book. And this is Left Behind if you can't read that. Now, if that's clickbait enough for you to just follow me on this message, I I hope you're with me. Like, this this might be worth the price of admission right here just to hear me say some things that might sound controversial. Here we go. We're ready for that. But I hope you stick with me because I do really think that understanding the central message of not only the scripture, but especially that really confusing, often scary book in the end of the Bible is really important for us as we continue to explore scripture and understand uh, God's purposes for us in our lives. So we're going to get there in just a minute. We're looking at Revelation in conjunction with the beginning of this new series called God at the Movies. Another question you might ask is, why do we need to have movies in church? What, what do movies have to do with God? And that's a fair enough question. But we believe that uh, our lives are driven by story. Stories help us establish meaning in our life. Stories express, express value, uh, not only for our lives, but for our culture. Stories help us pass down histories. Stories help us know our past and, in a way, help us know our future. Stories are a way we can express the inexpressible or explain the unexplainable. This is why Jesus often used story uh, to teach his followers uh, about things like the kingdom of God, which was really hard to express in words, but when told in story, capture a sense of what it means to be in God's presence. Think of stories like the Good Samaritan uh, or the Prodigal Son, Stories that Jesus told to express uh, uh, to us in a way, in a very tangible way, ideas of forgiveness and and service, unconditional love, simple words with very complex meanings that we get a better picture of that when we know them through story. And in our modern day, one of the most effective ways to tell a story is through film, because it engages all of our senses, especially sight, uh, and we're visual creatures, And film, like any good art, expresses the deepest parts of who we are, and film has this unique ability to transport us into new places, immerse us into new worlds, show us things that we would never see before, engage our imaginations, and totally blow our minds. You can probably imagine the first time this happened for you, when you saw a movie, and you sat in the theater, and you watched, and you could not believe what you were seeing on the screen. For me, that was when I went to see Jurassic Park. As a kid, there were dinosaurs, like legit dinosaurs on the screen with people. Like I could not believe it. My mind was completely blown. And it was a way for me to know that this might not actually be real in real life, but for a moment it was. And I could immerse myself in this new world. And it was amazing. Film can do that for us. So that's why we're doing it. Because when we engage the art of storytelling, especially through film, we can get a glimpse of the stories that our souls are trying to tell. We understand through the, uh, the words of the screenwriters and, and the vision of the director and the, the skill of the actors, they're expressing something deep within us and we get a glimpse into the human soul. And the truth that resides there. Plus, it's just plain fun. So, I mean, it's summertime. We're going to have fun in church. Let's talk about some movies. This is going to be fun. This weekend especially, fun for me. So this week, we're going to be talking about one of the most successful movies and one of the most successful movie franchises of all time. Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Now, this was a really hard sermon for me to write, believe it or not. I've been looking forward to it for a long time, but it has taken many, uh, many iterations. Uh, every sermon that I write has to get thrown away and start over again. The first one I wrote, uh, I realized that I was 30 minutes into the sermon and I hadn't said a word about Jesus yet. I was so excited about Star Wars. <laughs> so that one got wadded up and thrown away. There was another one where I was trying to work in all these like sly little uh, Star Wars inside jokes and one lines that like all the true nerds would get and I was taking too much time with that. I had to throw that away too. So, this was a really difficult one because it was so much fun and, and I just kept tinkering with it. Uh, so, here's what we got. This is the best we got right here. So, this is what we're going to go with. But, Star Wars was released uh, last December. Uh, much, anticipate, uh, much anticipated movie. Uh, it was the quickest movie to make a billion dollars. It's like the highest grossing film of all time uh, in the US. Uh, it set all kinds of records, but most importantly, it was awesome. It was the thing that all of us Star Wars nerds have been waiting on, right? It was the thing that we thought was impossible. You're not going to be able to make a new Star Wars movie that's going to please us nerds, right? There's just, it's impossible. They tried it three times and it didn't work, and so they made this one. And we all anticipated My, my family, we love Star Wars. We were a Star Wars household. We were there. We were there on day one uh, of the opening. Uh, me and my son and, and Holly, we saw it three times. Like it, we just couldn't get enough of it. We loved it so much. We are a Star Wars household. I have a few pictures I want to show you to prove it. Uh, this first one, uh, this is my, my family and I. Last year at our church's Trunk or Treat, uh, we decided to go as Star Wars characters. Uh, I'm Han Solo. My wife is Leia, and the little Darth Vader there is Charlie, who is threatening whoever's taking the picture uh, with that lightsaber. Here's another picture. This is just a random, like, Tuesday in our house. Uh, Charlie... <laughs> Uh, it's pretty much a random occurrence at our house. Charlie dressed up as some Star Wars character. Star Wars toys all over the ground. Star Wars on the TV. Lightsabers being wielded carelessly around. Uh, this next picture I want to show you is my absolute favorite picture of all time. Uh, <laughs> this is America, y'all. Uh, <laughs> last summer, uh, last summer, uh, we Charlie and I were grilling like we do, and this is how we were dressed. Uh, and uh, we were taking a little break, so it was hot outside, so we went to go sit in the shade and. Uh, Holly came out to just check on us and see how things were going She walked out the back door Immediately turned around and walked right back inside to go grab her camera to come capture this moment And I'm so glad she did This is a picture I will cherish for the rest of my life this is, That's it uh, So we love Star Wars uh, But not just because it's entertaining and imaginative It is those things um, But also because of the story it tells uh, It's a battle between good and evil The light and the dark It's a story of redemption. It's a story of hope in the midst of impossible and insurmountable odds. These these, uh, themes uh, exist throughout every little story, every little movie in Star Wars, and it's part of the overarching narrative of the Star Wars franchise. Each individual story, they have this, this, this improbable victory over the dark that the light Has over this violence and oppression that the dark has, it's impossible to beat them, and and all the characters have a hard time believing it is possible, and yet somehow the light wins. And this latest installment is no different. In The Force Awakens, it takes place thirty years after uh, Return of the Jedi. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie, I know that there are some, you're like unicorns, like you're out there and you haven't seen any Star Wars movies. Um, So let me give this brief uh, synopsis for you. 30 years after Return of the Jedi, uh, we have, uh, out of the ashes of the Empire that has been defeated by the Rebellion, rise this new evil, right? The First Order. And Uh, We have this scavenger named Ray who encounters a little droid named BB-8 that contains some really critical information pertaining to the whereabouts of one Luke Skywalker uh, who's been missing for some time. And Ray and this rogue stormtrooper named Finn uh, meet up with some of our familiar heroes from the older movies, like Han Solo and Chewbacca and Leia, and they find themselves in this monumental conflict between good and evil. Now, My favorite character in all of the Star Wars movies, his name is Han Solo, and one one of the things I love about this new movie is this transformation that we see uh, in Han. He's undergone this great change. If you've seen the first three movies, the first three that are produced, not episodes one, two, and three, nobody really likes to talk about those, but the first three real Star Wars movies, uh, and you see Han, Han is this reluctant participant in the rebellion, right? He's really just in it for the money. He doesn't believe in the Force, and he would much rather just trust himself and continue on trying to figure out how to profit from his involvement with the rebellion. But over the course of those movies, and the 30 years in between those movies, and uh, the Star Wars The Force Awakens, uh, you see uh, Han undergo this change. And in this first clip that we're about to see, uh, we get a glimpse of this change. You see, uh, you see Han and the new Han, and this new feeling that he has Now, just to set up this a little bit, uh, Ray and Finn have escaped with BB-8 from this planet Jakku, right? And they found this old ship in a junkyard that turns out to be the Millennium Falcon. And when they get up into space, they encounter Han and Chewie, who board the ship, to check out their old digs, right? And then this scene right here is when this unlikely grouping gets to know each other a little bit better. So let's take a look. Good job, kid. Thanks. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome. So, fugitives, huh? The First Order wants the map. Finn is with the Resistance. I'm just a scavenger. See what you got. Go ahead. Mm. Mm. This map's not complete. It's just a piece ever since luke disappeared people have been looking for him why did he leave he was training a new generation of jedi one boy a, an apprentice turned against him destroyed it all luke he felt responsible he just walked away from everything do you know what happened to him a lot of rumors stories People that knew him best. Think he went looking for the first Jedi temple. The Jedi were real. I used to wonder about that myself. Thought it was a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. A magical power holding together good and evil, the dark side and the light. Crazy thing is. force a Jedi all of it it's all true han forever the skeptic right but he experienced something he witnessed the actual power of the force and more specifically the power of the light side over the dark even against impossible odds. You're not supposed to tell Han the odds, right? But he, he saw something. He saw something happen in front of him, something that should have never happened. The rebellion was so small. It was, it was outmanned and outgunned against the empire, and yet good triumphed over evil. He experienced it. He witnessed it. The force was always real, but now it was actually real to Han. But now for these newcomers who have yet to witness and experience what Han has they must decide for themselves whether or not they will take up this task, whether or not they'll risk it all against this new face of evil, the First Order. So this follow-up clip takes place shortly after the one we just saw, where Han takes uh, this group to an old friend's place named Maz uh, to see if he can get her help in getting BB-8 to the resistance. But ha- Maz has some other plans uh, for them there. So let's see this clip. A month ...to Skywalker himself. You are right back in the mess. Mars, Ooh. I need you to get destroyed to Leia. No. You've been running away from this fight for too long, Han. Go home. Leia doesn't want to see me. Please, we came here for your help. What fight? The only fight against the Dark Side. Through the ages, I've seen evil take many forms. The Sith. The Empire. Today, it is the First Order. There's shadow spreading across the galaxy. We must face them. Fight them. All of us. There is no fight against the First Order. Not one we can win. Look around. There's no chance we haven't been recognized already. I bet you the First Order is on their way right... What's this? What are you doing? Solo, what is she doing? I don't know, but it ain't good. If you live long enough, you see the same eyes in different people. I'm looking at the eyes of a man who wants to run. You don't know a thing about me. Where I'm from. What I've seen. You don't know the First Order like I do. They'll slaughter us. We all need to run. Hmm. <clears throat> you see those two? They'll trade work for transportation to the Outer Rim. There, you can disappear. Finn. Come with me. What about BB-8? We're not done yet. We have to get him back to your base. <coughs> I can't. Keep it, kid. The girl. So we see everybody's reaction to the task at hand. There's a curiosity from Ray. Um, There's a hesitancy from Han, who has some personal issues he's got to work out. And then there's this fear from Finn. Finn, who knows firsthand the true power of the First Order, and it terrifies him. It seems absolutely crazy. Uh, to oppose them and impossible to defeat them. And according to Finn, the the best bet that these friends have is really just to run away. There's no way that this new evil can be defeated. But what Finn will soon find out is that victory has very little to do with trusting his own ability or even the ability of the resistance as a collective, that there's something much bigger going on. So now we're going to turn from there to our scripture for today. Uh, We're going to take a look at Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. It says this Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, Revelation can be a little scary, but this one had no dragons, no beasts, no swords coming out of people's mouths or anything. If you've read Revelation, you know all those things are are in there. But before we can get to the importance of this particular scripture for today, I want us to take a look at Revelation and the central message of Revelation uh, and, and how this can mean something for us today and what Revelation might mean for us. Now, this might be a little bumpy for some of you, but hang tight with me. We don't have much time, so we're going to zoom through some quick historical stuff that will place this in context for us. Revelation is a letter actually written by the Apostle John, one of Jesus' followers. He also wrote the Gospel of John, which we see. Uh, He also wrote three other letters, uh, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. Uh, and he wrote Revelation here. Uh, It was written much later in John's life, probably somewhere between 80 and 95 CE, or AD, whatever you prefer. Um, We're not quite sure, but we know it was much later in his life. Now, there are three other dates that are important to know uh, to place this historically for us and to understand a little bit about the purpose and the meaning of John's writing here. The first date is 30 CE. Now, 30 CE was the approximate date for Jesus' death and resurrection, and consequently, the birth of the church. The disciples and the apostles that were left behind uh, started this new movement, and we call it the church. Now, in this time, there are three very distinct communities. I mean, there's lots all over the world, but in our particular world that we're looking at, we have the, the community of Jesus followers, the Christian community. We have the Jewish community, which these Jesus followers were born out of. And then we have the Roman Empire, Right? So we have these three uh, distinct communities. And during the early years of this Jesus follower movement, there was a lot of tension between the Christian community and the Jewish community about what it meant to be faithful, right? Because a lot of Christians came out of the Jewish community. They didn't necessarily leave it. They were just also Christians. And so understanding what it meant to be Jewish, And also Christian, Uh, there was a lot of tension there. And plus, we have lots of new people coming in that weren't Jewish at all, and how do they fit in all this? So, there's a lot of tension there. There was a great deal of tension between the Jewish community and the Roman Empire. And there had been for decades, right? Constantly tension there. Uh, So, that was this. But there wasn't much tension at all between the Christian community and the Roman Empire. Why? Because it was small, it was insignificant. Rome didn't care about them. Like, they didn't probably didn't even know they existed, right? They heard of this Jesus guy. They crucified him, but they didn't know that there was still a little movement going on after that. It was nothing for them to concern themselves with, but things changed. Because as these apostles, these people that were, uh, that were here after Jesus ascended, and, and people like Paul who went out and started to spread the gospel and started to form churches, this movement began to grow rapidly, and pretty soon this Christian community caught the eye of the Roman Empire. Why? Why? Because they were winning the hearts of the people through their dedication to serving others and their ability to heal the hurts that the empire caused. And probably most significantly that they were preaching about this brand new kingdom that was coming one day with a brand new king. And empires don't take too kindly to talk like that. When they hear about words like overthrow, right, it gets them a little nervous, especially when there's a community of people that are growing and and becoming more passionate makes them a little bit nervous. It tends to tick empires off when you do things like that, which brings us to our second date of importance, uh, 64 CE. This is the date of the Great Fire of Rome. Some of you may remember this from your uh, history classes. Uh, it's it's a fire that burned in Rome for six days. It was, it was devastating. It was tragic. Now, later on, historians would uh, speculate uh, that it was actually the Roman Emperor at the time, Nero, who started the fire intentionally, because uh, he was a little bit crazy. But at the time, at the time, uh, Nero blamed a certain community of people for starting these fires. Who did he blame? He blamed the Christian community. He blamed the Christian community. So not only did the imperial elite not like this community, but now the commoners began to distrust this Christian, this new uh, Christian community, uh, because they supposedly started the fire in Rome, which leads us to our third date, which is seventy C.E. In seventy C.E., the Romans invaded Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. Emperor Vespasian was the emperor at the time, and uh, with these communities growing and with tensions mounting, not only between the Jewish community in Rome, but now the Christian community in Rome, and, and, and now this thing that kind of held them together, Jerusalem, this temple, this was kind of the center uh, of their religion, of their faith, of their heritage, and uh, it was also a, a place, a societal center, was destroyed. The very way they would go and worship God was changed forever. This was tragic and and devastating for for both of these communities, and tensions began to brew, and and, and Rome was getting word of this rebellion, and so they just went in, and this is what empires do. They go in, and they they hear about somebody who's going to rebel, and what they're going to do is going to go and show how powerful they are by sacking the whole town, by destroying the temple. And Vespasian actually took the proceeds from his victory and built the Colosseum, so how, now we have in history, you can go to Jerusalem and you can see the temple and you can see remnants of the damage done from 70. You can also go to Rome and see remnants of that exact same moment in the Colosseum. Empire, the empire did what empires do. They display their unconquerable might to those that might oppose them and they establish peace through violence and oppression. Nobody defeats an, an empire. You have two choices when it comes to Empire. You either submit to their power or you die trying to oppose them. Now, while we don't know the exact date of John's uh, writing, we know it's later and we know it was after these moments, which is important for us because we see what has taken place historically, contextually, as John writes this letter. So what is Revelation? Why is it so weird and why the heck did you tell me all this stuff? I told you all this stuff so I can explain why it's so weird and why we need to know about it. Revelation is actually a prophetic book. It's a letter written of prophecy. Now, sometimes we falsely assume that a work of this work of prophecy, or any work of prophecy, for that matter, is a work of prediction. Of prediction. Now, a work of prediction, especially Revelation in this case, would mean that it details the end of the world and the fates of those who follow Jesus or do not follow Jesus. But only if you have the right key to unlock the code within the prediction can you know what it means. It also means that for 2,000 years at least, that this book has meant nothing to no one. It has been carried along in our Bibles and it didn't mean anything. John wrote it and it didn't mean anything for anybody at the time. And that's one possible interpretation of Revelation. There's been many books written about it. It's been taught that way. In uh, many ways, there's, there's popular fiction that's been written about that. Um, but what I would like to propose is that this prophetic work and any prophetic work that we find in Scripture, like the book of Daniel, for example, uh, is not necessarily a work of prediction, but a work of proclamation. It's not prediction, it's Proclamation. We'll put it this way, very, very simply, very boiled down. Revelation is a proclamation that God's purposes cannot be stopped by earthly powers. If I were to boil down into a way oversimplified form what Revelation means for us. This is what John is trying to communicate in Revelation. Revelation is a cry of the powerless against all opponents, whether it's the Roman Empire or any empire, for that matter, that God is going to win in the end. God's vision for creation wins out, and God is the most powerful. So you have to think that John is writing this especially, not exclusively, but especially for these first century Christians who are experiencing this turmoil, right? They, they're not far removed from Jesus, right? And there's a lot of, of momentum. There's a lot of energy, a lot of passion around this growing movement. And then to encounter something like this where Rome comes and just displays its might and destroys everything would be disheartening, to say the least, And so John writes this letter of prophecy to encourage those that are walking down this path of faith to not lose the faith, saying that if you continue on in this way, you serve a God that wins in the end, that empires will fall, crash down around his feet, to not lose hope and to not fear. The the book of Revelation is meant to be this subversive message message that was a pointed denouncement of Rome and all that Rome stood for and to to, uh, proclaim the coming reign of God, that God's purposes would not fall. And this is why it's couched in so much metaphor. John just couldn't write a letter to these seven churches that he mentions in Revelation and say, You know what? Rome bites, man. And guess what? They're going to fall one day, and there's going to be a new king and a new kingdom. This is what's going to happen, right? So don't worry, man. Just keep on doing what you're doing. Don't let Rome get you down, man. I don't know why John's a hippie, but (laughs) he can't just write that letter because the second he sends those letters, what happens? Rome reads that and goes, well, these aren't getting delivered. And then they just go destroy those seven churches and go find John and kill him like they did Jesus who preached that same message. So he couches it in this, in this metaphor that for us today is like, what is he even talking about? But back then would have made total sense. They would have understood that any talk of Babylon would have would have been directed right at Rome. But you can talk about Babylon because Rome's not Babylon. Right? So you see all these metaphors that are connected to actual real life historical contextual things for these first years. Uh, century Jesus followers who are desperately trying to hold on to their faith while staring directly at what seemed to be an unstoppable force of evil against them. So hear these words again from Revelation 21. Hear the vision that God has for all of creation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea.